Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us! This is... Are, are these books drunk? Yes, they are. Very much so. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your Book Up With a Twist, and we are your Happy Hour Girlfriends. This month, we're talking about Real Life by the ridiculously talented and uberly brilliant Brandon Taylor. Seriously. Yes. yes. Ladies, I can't believe we're finishing up this thought-provoking novel today. I know. So, <laughs> next week, we will be gabbing about it some more, but under a different light. So yes. don't you worry. Yes. As far as last week is concerned, we continued with our openness, no matter how difficult it was at times. We challenge ourselves to not remain silent and go forward without an ounce of loneliness because we were and are here for each other, as well as for you out there. Thank you, Brandon, for sharing with us Wallace's story, one of struggles, yet with a desire to reach for the sky. Oh, well That's said. lovely. Today's cocktail looks like it's going to be one of my favorites. Yes. It's called People Pleaser. Woo woo. As Wallace muses that at heart, he only wants to please people. What's fun about this drink is that you also have some choice in your spirit to do whatever pleases you. Hey, now. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Here to share the recipe for this delicious and layered cocktail is our resident bartender who keeps us pleased and boozy every week, Ricardo. 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 Pleased in more ways than one, I'm sure. Oh, my God. (laughs) Hey, now. Woo. Oh, my. She hasn't even had a sip yet. (laughs) Hi, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm fine. More than fine. Okay. Right there <laughs> we go. More than fine. So the cocktail of today is called People Pleaser. Yeah. There's a reason behind the name of the cocktail. It's mainly because you can choose your own spirit and this mm. cocktail is still going to be delicious, fresh, and very, very appropriate for the book. Yeah. Totally. So, the recipe that I'm going to give you is with rum, but as I mentioned, you can use tequila, mezcal, vodka, or even uh, London dry gin. Nice. nice. Yeah, I used vodka. So, so did I. Look <laughs> at that. I used rum. I used <laughs> right, golden right. rum. You can go for an ounce and a half of the spirit that you're going to choose, three quarter of an ounce of lime juice, half of an ounce of grapefruit juice, half of an ounce of Aperol, Half of an ounce of elderflower liqueur mm. and soda water just to top. We're gonna need a couple of slices of fresh cucumber to muddle in the shaker. Then we Ooh. put all the ingredients except for the soda water in the shaker, ice, shake it, and strain over ice in a calling glass. Mm. So a long glass so we can put finally a straw. Right, Brandy? Yeah. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> and you're gonna double strain this cocktail because we don't wanna have these annoying pieces of cucumber in the in the glass. Mm. Top with soda water and put your straw cucumber slice as a garnish and Ooh. we're gonna enjoy the people pleaser. 
It is so. It is such a people pleaser. Oh, it is great. It is delicious. Good. You are definitely pleasing me right now. <laughs> yeah, it's so fresh. I it's love fresh. it. It's so refreshing. Maybe it's more of a summer cocktail, but it's fine. Like we are enjoying our summer in our houses. It's 2020. Right now, so like it's whatever. Fine. And you whatever. know what? It's so sunny outside today. Like yeah, the weather is true. perfect. So this true. just it really works. Yeah. Perfect. Agreed. So, la vostra salute, ragazze. Enjoy ah. the drinks. Gracias, Ricardo. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. All right, ladies. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Mm. I love this drink. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ooh. That cucumber it's really so comes through. Yes, it's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. The combination of grapefruit and cucumber, delightful. Absolutely. And I have to say, I think Ricardo feels like it's more of a summer drink, which I totally get. But something mm-hmm. about that elderflower, that like herbal element kind of feels like fall to me a little bit. Like it, huh. it's, it definitely is more of a summer drink, but there is like a little bit of a fall element coming through. Okay. For me, I feel like. Okay, Brandy. <laughs> All right. I'll take it. I, I'm lonely out here by myself <laughs> on this limb. <laughs> okay. So this week, we got a first-person account from Wallace, an entire chapter in which he lets us into the world of his childhood. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. We sat with him while Simone and others questioned his drive and determination to remain in the in the program. And we watched in horror, I have to say, for myself, mm-hmm. as Wallace and Miller each made soul-bearing admissions, literally and figuratively, clawing at each other in attempts to get to the truth, to get to what's real. Yeah. Oh, my God. These chapters. Oh, yeah. Wow. I feel like for me in in chapter five, which seems to be sort of Wallace's response to Miller's question from chapter four, when Miller says, tell me about yourself. Right. It seems like chapter five is what Wallace sort of vomits up about his past. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was just so much death and decay in this chapter as he recounts these stories from his childhood he describes the abuser who we finally hear about as having a face like death's face a grimacing thing from the other side a smirking skull's face more Mm. beast than man he describes his own father grinning with his front teeth missing already decaying on the inside already Mm. breaking down he says And then there's the image of the birds breaking Mm -hmm. their necks as they fall into the tub. The image of the birds getting eaten by ants. He talks about the ghosts of his grandparents and the ghosts of their grandparents and on and on and on. It just feels so oppressive and heavy. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, after I read this chapter, I carried around a tightness in my chest all day long that I couldn't shake. It Mm -hmm. it like made it hard for me to breathe. I don't know if you guys Mm -hmm. had that same experience, too. Yeah, it it was a very it was very tough to digest. Oh. But I it was eye opening and just for yeah. for Brandon to be so open through Wallace mm. about 
his childhood yeah. because as we know this is semi autobiographical right so who knows like what of this is something that would really happen for Brandon yeah what really struck me is because we i think in the first episode we were talking about that his sexual relationship with Miller might have not been his first, might have not been his first intimate interaction. Right. And we learned that his first one was with a neighbor that he liked, a boy, right? Right. And he describes his first experience with this boy that he actually liked as shameful. Mm-hmm. He writes that he tried to clean himself in a tub that didn't work with the dead the baby birds that Brandon right, was talking about, right. trying to make it go away, to become my skin again, and not bruised, not marked, not streaked in shit and blood and cum, and trying to reclaim myself, the feeling of wholeness again before I had been breached, before I had let him breach me, before I had let him shatter the membrane that kept the world out. Mm. Mm. And that is just ugh, I, I I don't I don't know if I even have words for what I know. Yeah. That is. Yeah. And for him to be able to describe that. Right. But it's so it's 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 so and the word is not Visceral. insightful. It's just it's so vi- yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Wait, what did you say, Emma? Visceral. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I like you said that, you know, that shame. Mm. We we touched on that in last week's episode as well, but now I'm also realizing that added element of where that comes from as he goes into detail about the relationship of Christianity and being yep. homosexual. Yeah. And how complicated that relationship is um because of how he was raised because of what his parents believe and what they instilled in him, you know, that he had a black soul because he was gay and that he was going to get AIDS and die because he liked men. Yeah. And how they really like impress that upon him. And I have a couple good friends who are gay who also grew up in very Christian households. And Mm -hmm. I just find that fascinating how they, my friends are, are now dealing with that, you know, looking back and figuring out what that religion and what their relationship to Christianity is now mm. from being what they were told as a kid. But now that they're open, you know, openly gay, how they're managing that with their family, with their religion. It's a very messy yeah. relationship. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this. But my so my grandma, my maternal grandmother is Jehovah's Witness. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And my mom was sort of raised that way. And some of that bled into my childhood. My mom, we were never devout Jehovah's Witness, but there were tendencies that would sort of sneak into like we didn't celebrate Christmas until I was like, I wanted to say seven or eight years old. Oh, wow. Really? And in the Jehovah's Witness religion, like birthdays, Mother's right. Day, anything They're like that. They're not celebrated. That's mm-hmm. You do not do that. And so I remember one year, I think it was my birthday, and my grandma was visiting from California at that time. And we had celebrated my birthday. uh, And she, even though I was so young, I was maybe five or six when this happened. And she told me that people who celebrated birthdays and holidays and things like that were going to hell. Like that was just a fact for her. Wow. Yeah. And she said this to me as a young child. And I... 
bawled my eyes out and I went to my mom and I was like, we have to stop doing this immediately. Grandma says we're going to go to hell, all this stuff. And we were never particularly religious. My mom kind of had rejected all of that. And so my mom kind of straightened that out with my grandma and was like, you don't say this to my kids, that kind of thing. And then she sat me down and she was like, you know, that's what grandma believes. That's not what we believe kind of a thing. But it was incredible even I mean, even now to remember the kind of shame and terror and fear that comes with an adult you respect and love and cherish telling you that something you're doing is wrong. And that wasn't even something personal about me. That was a thing we did. So Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine for Wallace being told it's something about him. It's something about who he is. It's something right. he cannot change. I could right. have stopped celebrating birthdays if it really mattered to me. Wallace can't change. Right. right. So I can't even Im- begin to imagine the kind of imprint that something like that must have on you mm-hmm. forever. Because he, it's not even like he's told that once. That's his life. He's told that That's as a kid. Life. And uh, the other thing, too, when it comes to the th- the experience or the sexual experiences he had with this man who mm. we don't necessarily know, again, the relationship with him and this man who just lived in their house. Right. His mother and his father knew what had happened. And the way they reacted to that, his mother called him a faggot and slapped him and never said, I'm sorry this happened to you. It was just like, there you are. This is this is who you are, and you you provoked it in a way, which we later on find out that provoking is a huge thing, and it's part of this. There's a theme about provoking. Yeah. That's another th- um, that happens with Miller, and also how his dad knew that this was happening, and just like as if it were his fault. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought there was also something really interesting about his dad, almost feeling like Wallace must have liked it. Like he must have, mm-hmm. like I think he said to Wallace, like I hoped it was something good for you. Yeah. As if like because he's gay, he must have enjoyed this experience. I think unfortunately that's a very common response from parents of kids who have been sexually assaulted. Hmm. Um, there's I a think. lot of victim blaming. There's a lot of victim blaming. Yeah. And honestly, I... I thought it was wild that Wallace isn't more, I don't want to say fucked up because obviously he has a lot of baggage and a lot of guilt and he's working through a lot. Yeah. But it is amazing to me that he still does have a lot of his true essence. He's still holding on to that. But I wondered how much of that is his true essence because a part of a part of me also felt like he's built up these walls, he's built up this persona of who he can be in this new life he's created for himself. But how much of that is just him running away from the past, trying to keep it from catching up with him? You know what I mean? Like how much of that is just him trying to evade who he was and so just becoming something different whatever that is and he's a people pleaser and he's a people pleaser yes no there's a there are a lot of a lot of things that he needs to work through but the fact that he's not taking it out in other forms like miller i think is pretty remarkable like he's Completely. not he's not hurting anyone else and he's actually no. not physically hurting himself either no, and i think right. 
Yeah, he's not deliberately trying to hurt and someone. And he doesn't right. blame anyone either, interestingly. Like, he does sort of have some weird feelings towards his parents, like some feelings of apathy, I think, towards his parents. But he never outrightly says, like, they should have protected me. They should have been the ones. I feel mm-hmm. like he probably does think that deep down, though. But it's interesting yeah. that we never get, we never hear that from him. Right. You know what I mean? There's at some point Miller and when Miller and Wallace are talking and I'm going to put it in here, but I don't know. This is kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but basically uh, because of the actions that Miller has done against Wallace and then Wallace is like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like everything you did is fine. You did it. We move on. But then Miller is like, is that the same way that you moved on from your parents? And then there's a little note saying, that Wallace can that there's hurt behind Wallace's eyes. Mm. So even though yes, he's moved on from it and he says he's fine, I think he he has this repetitive way of just like reacting to things by burying everything inside. Yeah. And like there's this rage brewing, yeah. but he yeah. doesn't know how to let it out because he doesn't want to become physical or violent like his parents were to him. So he's not yeah, he's not trying to follow in that mold, but I think it's there comes a time where there's so much in there that something might end up happening because it's like, how else do you let it out mm-hmm. if you keep on pushing all those mm-hmm. emotions down? And that's a scary yeah. place to be in. I, I really want to talk about this violence between Wallace and Miller that we see in we see them in later chapters but I think they actually might have roots in Wallace's early life in this in chapter five all the things that we read early in chapter five he describes his grandparents rocking in their chairs singing the songs that their grandparents sang that their grandparents sang that their grandparents sang he says right, it goes down a long line yeah, there's no denying the power of ghosts, he says. And it's like history just keeps repeating itself. Like your grandparents and parents' past yeah. are destined to be your future or I, Wallace's future, really. And a lot of the events that happened really started to feel cyclical and circular to me. It seems like that's what Wallace is trying to outrun, that cycle, that past mm-hmm. that keeps creeping up on him. So we learn in Chapter 5... That his mother herself was raped and had a child, which is Wallace's brother. And then when she finds out that Wallace has been abused, she blames him, like you said, Mariana, calling him horrible names and presumably passing on the same treatment that was visited on her when her family found out about the rape. Like, I feel like she's just passing along that same behavior to her kids. He describes having sex with that boy who he let take him into the woods. He says he let him climb on top of me, let him spill himself inside of me. And I went home bleeding and ugly and dirty. And he describes letting that boy push him down and punch him and kick him and break him, thinking that the pain would absolve him. And then all these years and years later in this really vicious, scary moment with Miller, I was terrified. I honestly couldn't tell whether this was a fight or whether it was foreplay. Right. And I felt a little bit like for both of them, sex and violence might be a little mixed up. I wondered, yeah. like, is this fight with Miller Wallace battling his past and his demons? Is this him trying to keep that past at bay so that it doesn't swallow him up? 
Or is this him and Miller finally being able to look at their past in the face and wrestle with them? Is Wallace trying to find absolution while letting Miller exercise his demons on him? Like, what the fuck was going on with this fight? I was just like, I had the exact same reaction. Yeah, like when Miller called Wallace exhausting, that really pissed me off yeah, because same. he had just opened up to him about all of that. And for the right. next the next thing for him to say is that you're exhausting. And Wallace let that slide right by and then took that moment to be playfully aggressive with him climbing onto his lap. Right. And I thought the same thing. I was like, what is this push and pull of nerves and anxiety and flirtation? And like, are they fighting or is this... Like you said, is this their outlet for them to let out all of this pent up? Yeah. Yeah. Like it almost felt like a beautiful dance that they were both able to Mm. express this, even though it doesn't necessarily feel safe. I wonder if for them it feels the safest it could be. Like the the peak of their safety. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, because it didn't really feel always consensual. Like it always felt dangerous to me, whatever was going on. It didn't always feel like they were both comfortable. Exactly. But it's interesting that um, because I remember saying you guys were a little skeptical of their relationship Mm -hmm. in episode one of this book. And I was like, but. I feel like they're really talking to one another and they're saying things to one another that have they have never said before. So yeah. even though it seems like it's happening very quickly, it seems like they have found some kind of like correlation within their history, within their lives with one another that they can kind of rely and support on each other. The violence was a lot for me. Yeah. But then what was very interesting is that Miller calls out Wallace on him being selfish like what you just said, Emma, about him being exhausting. But there was a point later on after they had, or actually, no, right before they had their altercation in what chapter was that? Chapter eight? Yeah, maybe? something like that. Um, that I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I always said that Wallace just like always put himself in someone else's shoes. But when Miller just like divulged all this information about how he beat up this kid Mm -hmm. and almost killed this kid because this kid was so sure of himself, which made him reflect on his own self about that he was not at a place where he or the place that he wanted to be. Yeah. That's when I was like, interesting. So Wallace heard all that decided to leave and for Miller that was really hurtful because he finally had come clean about all this information that he never shared with anybody else and how he felt like a monster because he almost killed someone and it was like this guilt and this shame that he'd been holding on for so long finally divulging it to someone and that person basically rejecting him right so it's like which I don't think is what Wallace was doing at all but that's how Miller took it for sure but that's how Miller took it and I also found it really brilliant on Brandon to write that out because it's like it's all about perspectives you never Mm -hmm. know how a person is going to react to you or how a person is taking everything in and then you might be the one feeling rejected that person might feel rejected but it's because there's like some kind of miscommunication right well all you're trying to do is be there for one another but there's a selfishness in you because you want to take care of yourself too right it's just it's 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 just it's so brilliant of him to bring out all this realness yeah. about how relationships are just really so complex and complicated right. that you just never you never know. You never know how a person is going to react to you and you never know what the person is really feeling when you 
don't acknowledge that they have finally come clean to something. Yeah, which is you why might it's not so think hard. That that's, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. That, that's no, why no, it's no. so hard to open up to someone because you don't mm-hmm. know how it yeah. will be. It's like it, once once you put that out there, if they don't take it the way that you need them to, it can be so much worse that you've said worse. it than it is to just hang on to it and keep it yours. Yeah. All yeah. of this action that happened throughout here of Miller telling Wallace – the story the horrifying of um, story. Uh, punching that kid, beating up the, the child. Almost killing that kid. Yeah. Right. And then everything that followed between the, the violence between Miller and Wallace. All, this all kind of brought me back to um, this horrible story that happened in Richmond in 2006. This man named Ricky Gray brutally murdered a Richmond family. There was actually, he was... Um, identified as a serial killer because he had actually killed another family prior to this family. But this was like the big story, unfortunately. He tortured them in their home basement and then lit the house on fire. It was a couple and their two young girls. It was was devastating. For some reason, I was thinking about this story about a year ago, and I decided to actually research it and find out what really happened because it was just too scary for me to do that prior i really it was like a little Mm -hmm. too close to home and yeah and i didn't want to know but about a year ago i decided that i wanted to reopen this case for myself and find out what happened and this was never in the news about the murderer ricky gray he ended up getting the death sentence actually But what they didn't disclose was that he had an extremely troubled upbringing. He was repeatedly raped by his older brother. Oh, my goodness. And by women in his dad's brothel starting at the age of eight and violently abused by his dad. He started smoking weed at age nine and started using PCP at age 11 to block out his psychological pain. And... As soon as I learned that about him, I mean, what he did is unforgivable. It was disgusting and devastating. Mm -hmm. And but once I read that about him, it did kind of give me this level of sympathy or empathy. Empathy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, once all of that has happened to you. You're broken. You're broken. And to me, it's like, well, no wonder you turned out the way that you did. And unfortunately, we see this violent behavior more in men because they're typically yeah. brought up not to feel open, to, yeah. to ex- not to be able express to express their emotions emotion. outwardly mm. or to be ashamed to cry or ask for help so that their anger and their sadness builds up inside until they explode or take it out with violence. Totally. And I couldn't help but think about this with Miller I guess that's what I was referencing earlier when I said it's amazing that Wallace actually hasn't um, hurt himself, hurt himself or others yeah. because of all of that built up inside of him the way that Miller yeah. had to express. And all of a sudden it gave me another like sense of empathy for Miller. Yeah. Because yeah. it's very easy to judge. Mm-hmm, but right. until you start peeling off those layers and see where like it, the essence where it comes from, you just don't know. Right. It's very easy on the surface to just be like, oh, yeah. Of course you're guilty or of course you did. No, like really get to know where it's coming from, no matter how bad it is, because of course that's horrific. Right. But getting to a place where like, oh my God, how can, that's, if you've, if you've gone through that, 
is it weird to say no wonder it got to that place if you've gone to something so yeah i mean such awful experiences i honestly felt like kind of an idiot after reading chapter five for some of the things that i had said earlier on like in our earlier episodes about the book you know i had been like well why does wallace feel like such an outsider it kind of feels like maybe he does this to himself And then we read these chap this chapter this chapter in particular chapter five and I was like, I don't know where I thought this book was going, but I definitely did not see this chapter coming, and Mm. I I felt like a fool for having Mm. thought that I could ever judge someone's experience based on such a surface level Mm -hmm. sort of you know connection with them like what we have with Wallace before he gives us this first person account and then I was like oh my god there is so much more under the surface of this person than what we actually get to experience or would get to experience if we were like his friend or something you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I I feel like that's a lot of what Brandon is trying to do I agree it's like this just like unraveling of just like here here this is what you see and I'm not going to start diving in and tell you exactly where all of this is coming from. Mm-hmm. It's just like he paints this picture for you of what we normally see on a daily basis when we're walking outside. Yep. But yep. then do we really know that person's story? Are we willing to judge them right now? Like what you just said, Brandon, on a surface level, do, shouldn't we really ask or just get to the real life portion of the present time? Right. Well, and even for Wallace, like his closest friends who think they know him so well. Right. Have no idea. Like even Miller, you know, Miller just finds this out, I think, at the same time that we do this first person account. So like, yeah, it's just such a testament to like even the people we think we know the most. Yeah. We probably don't. Don't. <laughs> can I can I just say cheers? I mean, not cheers, not but like, cheers, can but I have like a something? drink for that? Yeah. <laughs> you can I'd have, have a drink, drink whenever you want. Yeah, I'll have a drink with you. Well, changing tunes, changing tunes a little bit. It seems that Wallace often says yes to doing something that he doesn't really want to do. And we're really changing tunes here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm changing the subject. Please. It seems that Wallace often says yes to doing something that he doesn't really want to do. Like go to their friend's dinner, go to brunch, tell a story that he doesn't want to tell, et cetera, et cetera. And the first moment that I felt like he really did what he wanted to do was turn down the invitation to go sailing with his friends after that super uncomfortable brunch. Hmm. Even in choosing to go home, he still thinks about what and how they're doing on the boat. This is something that I relate to wholeheartedly as I constantly experience FOMO. For those of you maybe not like young hip kids, that means fear of missing out. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm young and hip, so I know that. You're so young and hip. So hip. (laughs) I found that in the past two years, I want less and less to go out and more and more to get cozy at home, (laughs) (laughs) which has been kind of perfect for me. Now we have no choice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I found that when I'm when I am invited to go someplace, even if deep down I don't want to go, I still feel like I'm missing out by not going. 
And then I continue to imagine if they're having a good time and I second guess my decision to not go. I know it Mm. sounds ridiculous, but I do this all the time. Alternatively, if I say yes and I do go do the thing, I think to myself how I would rather be home and then I'm mad at myself for agreeing to go. I wonder, I want to know if either of you ever experienced that fear of missing out, the FOMO, and whether yes or no, do you think, do you think that this is something that ever fades with age or is it a lack of security in oneself? Like, what is this? Hmm. Am I alone in the FOMO? You are not alone in the FOMO. Yeah, not at all. (laughs) At all. It's FOMO for a a reason. Like, that's a thing for a reason. Yeah, I actually, I'm I'm so glad you bring this up because I was like highlighting and circling this (laughs) section because I was like, yep. I know what that feels like. Uh, um, I often think about this, like literally all the time, to yeah. an extent that it might be like a fault of mine because I think it kind of drives me crazy. Um, I usually, if I decline an invitation or I don't do something, I create a vivid image and start thinking about everything that could potentially be happening while I'm not there. Yeah. But the worst part is what I end up doing is thinking that everybody that is there is talking about me. Mm. So it's not only me missing oh, wow. out, but then I'm like thinking, oh, they're probably questioning why I'm not there. They're probably like saying something that um, might be a negative thing about me. Oh. And then I'm like, why am I so important to think that they're all thinking about me? Why? That's so- like, that's just, that's really absurd. <laughs> like, it's just like, a little cray-cray. Well, um, no, no, don't say that. Just, I mean, not cray cray and like, and not. I know what you maybe mean, I shouldn't though. Understand. You feel <laughs> it's a little stressful. bit neurotic. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Exactly. <laughs> I, and, I only say that because I have felt that way for sure. <laughs> yeah, ditto. And, and it's so interesting because the, the image that I, I, I see the circumstance, I see what everybody else is doing. I see like what, like when they're choosing their own adventure, like what everybody else will be doing if they go this way or that. It just, I see it very clearly. Mm-hmm. Like I usually mm-hmm. say that I don't have a very vivid imagination, but I definitely do. Because if I'm witnessing all of that without being there, obviously I do. Yeah. <laughs> but to your second question, Emma, My dad says that all of this will fade away with age. Mm. He constantly says that to me because he said that he was exactly the same way in his 30s and in his 20s and in his teens. But it took him his lifetime to kind of get over that, Mm -hmm. to know that that is just, you just learn through experience. And only when you become wiser and have experienced life that you don't need all that extra. Because then you can be fully present which I think that's my problem. I'm not fully present. I'm not fully satisfied in the situation that I'm currently in. Mm-hmm. I'm still, I still have a wandering eye of what else is happening. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't gotten into that me, place yet. It's so funny to me, Mariana, that you say that because I feel like no one who has been in a room with you having a conversation would think that of you like oh, I have no, never sure seen, they, I'm I have sure never, they don't <laughs> right I've never had a conversation with you where I didn't feel like you were completely wholeheartedly like listening and like I've even talked to you sometimes where like you'll remember something I said like months ago where I'm like right how the hell did you remember that like you're clearly right. so present that it's weird that you I don't know would ever say that you're n- not 
And I, I yeah. totally believe you when you say that, like there must be a lot going on like under the surface. That yeah, I, I think there's a lot going on and I constantly second guess myself yeah. because it's interesting. See, again, perspectives of what you two see, what I don't. Right. And I think that I'm in a whole other universe. Well, you are in a whole other universe, clearly, if you're having all these other thoughts at the same yeah. time that we're thinking you're completely present. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I I have to say, I feel a little bit guilty about my answer because I kind of I I feel like I don't know if this is something I have sort of said to myself to justify not going out to things that I don't want to. Mm. But I feel like I always ask myself, if I don't want to go to something, is this something I'm afraid to go to for some reason? Am mm. I resisting it for some reason? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that I just really don't want to go to? Yeah. And if it's something that I just really don't want to go to, then like, I'm not going to go because I'd rather I'd rather be doing whatever it is I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it's something that I'm afraid of for some reason, then I try I try at least to say like, no, then you need to go to that. You need to do that. You need to get rid of whatever that fear is. Hmm. But I, I, I don't know. I think I'm just selfish in that way where like, I'm not going to do something I don't want to do. Like, I'm not going to go. <laughs> to an event that like I don't want to go to I mean that makes sense I'm gonna do that to myself yeah I don't think that's selfish at all I think you're owning who you are and what you want and to our listeners out there if you hear that my audio is slightly different from Emma and Brandy's (laughs) you will see in our video on Instagram you're judging Mariana right now It's because my Wi-Fi has been giving me a lot of problems all this week. And that's why I, if you hear any technical issues or difficulties, it's because I am not in my booth. Cheers to Mariana's bad Wi-Fi today. (laughs) Cheers. But not cheers to Spectrum. We're celebrating Mariana's technical difficulties. (laughs) There you go. I'm not being a people pleaser anymore because I don't care about my Wi-Fi. And if this sounds bad to you. Too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Love you all very much. Sorry. That might be my favorite thing that's ever happened on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I want to build off of this little personal segment thing that we've got going on here. Mm. You like it? I do. I'm feeling it. Yeah, you do. I think it's also because these chapters were so heavy that I'm just grasping at anything (laughs) that's light. In chapter seven, Wallace thinks there was a time when, very young and very impressionable, he believed his grandfather's stories about spectral dogs that would come and spirit him away if he dawdled when playing out in the trees. My family is full of little myths like this that I'm not surprised. Why? I don't know. I can see that. They sometimes still haunt me to this day, which is a little embarrassing. So my great-grandma used to say that if you heard someone call your name and you turned around, which, by the way, this used to happen to me all the time as a kid. I would think I heard somebody call my name. Oh, no. I would turn around. I would There would be nobody there. And I kind of wouldn't think anything of it, but she would say that if you turned around and no one was there, the devil just called your name. And if you turned around, you had answered him. No. And I'm not even sure what that was supposed to do. Like, I feel like usually these little stories are meant to make kids, like, behave well. But I don't know what that one was supposed to have made me To terrify you. I guess. 
And she also used to say that like during lightning storms, you were supposed to like cover up all the mirrors. And I would see her doing it. Like if I was at her house and there was lightning storm, she'd cover up the mirrors. Oh my God. She'd close the drapes on the windows. If you tried to peek out, she'd immediately be like, no, 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 you can't be, don't be near the window. She'd pull She's everybody a witch. away. She was a witch. It was very superstitious and weird. And there were so <laughs> many things like that when I was a kid that I now know were just like little superstitions. But they've right. stuck with me. And when those things happen, I still like impulsively think of my great grandma. And so like there will be a thunderstorm here every now and again. And I'll literally be like, should I be covering up the mirrors? And then I'm like, oh, wait, that's fully crazy. Like, that's not a thing. What was your name? Elfida. Elfida. <laughs> but I wondered if you guys have things like that from your childhood that like grandparents or parents told you that were these little myths that had no real grounding that still affect you. I'm going to go rogue and split your question into two answers. Please. Ooh. Because, no, my family doesn't Do have you? any superstitions like that. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, your parents are both, like, hyper-educated. And, like, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't well, surprise me. But we do have a lot of traditions that all come with, like, Jewish holidays or events. Mm -hmm. So We love you, Irene and Fred. Yes. yes we do. <laughs> Are these parents drunk? Maybe. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, so similarly to the slight fear that it seems to me that your great-grandma instilled in you by telling you these superstitions... I've always had this worry that if I didn't follow the traditional protocol, such as not eating anything leavened during Passover or mm -hmm. not atoning for my sins on Yom Kippur, that I would be punished in some way. Like mm. my ancestors would come smite me down or something. Oh, wow. So that's the only like familial correlation I have to your question. But where I do get superstitious is in my preparation for every show that I do that oh, has been the same us. since I, I was think I yeah, that, a I child. Like that. I mean, it's not, it changes depending on the show, but I, once I figure out what my like routine is, it has to be the same every show. So I have this clear memory of when I did Carousel when I was 13 and I had a quick change backstage and I would preset my costume at the exact same time when I heard the moment in the song play over the monitor. Like I would hear the lyric and be like, all right, now is when I go preset. And I would have to preset it exactly the same way down to where I placed the two bobby pins that I needed. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, or it was what? like, who knows what's going to happen? Like, I would have a bad performance. Bad like, something performance. would happen. Okay. Yeah. And it. even when I'm getting in hair and makeup in my dressing room, I have a very exact order for which I get ready, and I don't stray from it. Interesting. But do you do it that per production depending on what you're working on yeah. or is it now like when you're in okay. hair and makeup it depends on the production right yeah so it's, it's not flexible like, to a point oh, yeah. yes but once i set it that is Some. it interesting i get very superstitious with shows i i do as well wow and i wasn't even going to bring that up but i do as well and it depends on the production that's why i was asking you well you know there's a whole history of superstitions in the theater For like sure, why you course. don't whistle why you don't you know right. there's so many superstitions luck, yeah. yeah yeah so i think that's probably where it comes from and i love that shit i do too <laughs> 
I get so nervous. I love it, about but it, it scares me. It makes me. you feel you like such a thespian. I know, oh, yeah, ew. Theater thespian. nerd 101. Yeah. What, what? <laughs> I, I really do want to talk about something that was very interesting that came out during one of the chapters. And it's a moment that really struck me. And I think as women, we can all relate to. Because more often than not, and we might not admit it, how often we say that we're not in the mood. (laughs) But it's a choice that we make when we say, well, we're not in the mood Mm -hmm. because we're not, right? And we assume that men are always ready to go. That's true. That's true. Our desire for sex and sexual experience is connected to our emotions as women and our feelings of being maybe adequate and respected, wanted and loved is what comes along with like having a sexual relationship. But if we're rejected, we feel that maybe it's because of us mm-hmm. or something that we did. Yeah. If like Wallace is so honest with us about saying that he can't get hard. Mm-hmm. Which I found very interesting because he says because he doesn't think he could get hard even if he, even if he wanted to, it isn't anything to do with Miller or not wanting him. He realizes, but he feels disconnected now right. suddenly from that part of him that is necessary for fucking or for coming. Mm. And then he goes on to say he's that he's just tired when Miller says, "Well, why don't you?" Why don't you pleasure yourself? Because it seems that Miller is the one that's always pleasuring himself when they have a sexual Mm, relationship. So that, like, the connection that I'm trying to make here is that it seems to me that men also do, like, there is a connection to their emotions. If there's something that's disconnected, if their mind is somewhere else, if they're dealing with so much, then they necessarily can't perform. Mm. So... I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever thought this, but I do think that there's uh, there's I think there's this stigma about men just wanting sense sex and being always ready to have sex, but I don't think yeah, men necessarily feel that way. Yeah, no, but I totally hear what you're saying in that like in our culture we always like you said we always assume men are like ready to go no matter what and i wonder how much of that mentality just seeps into the psyche mm-hmm. and be- sort of forces it to become an unemotional experience for a man before it even happens because it's not and it seems that it isn't right there are it's emotions be- right involved. and especially in the moment that you're talking about between wallace and miller yeah 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 men have feelings yeah they do (laughs) they do and they can express them and they should be able to express them express i hope that i have boys so that i can teach them to be expressive emotional vulnerable little beings oh i love that i hope you have boys as well and if i have girls i'm gonna teach them to not be a bitch like katie oh how about that katie oh yes katie Bye. Bye, Katie. I'm so glad you bring that up because when Katie questions Wallace as to why he's not holding up his end of the bargain with his workload, even though there's no way she could have been able to handle it on her own, it would be simply too much. And so Brandon writes, there comes a time when you have to acknowledge your limitations. The capacity Mm -hmm. to do something is not a mandate to do it. 
Are you ladies aware of your limits? We've often talked about owning ourselves and getting rid of what's in our way to get to where we want to get to. But what about knowing when we've reached our limit? Are you chicas aware of that? So I'm glad you brought that up, Emma, because I wanted to bring up this question to both of you. Wow, that's a doozy of a question. I mean... I feel so many different things about this question. On the one hand, I feel like limitations are our own conception of like a block that we have about ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I know that for the longest time I had I had this self-imposed limitation where I was like, I can't play Latina characters because I don't look like what this industry conceives of a Latina character being so like anytime I got an audition that was that I was just like I'm not going to book this whatever Mm -hmm. and but it's funny because as soon as I stopped worrying about that or stopped even caring I booked a couple of roles that were exactly that and it was like weird it was just Mm -hmm. a self-imposed limitation on the other side though I do think there's something about I think there are limitations in the things we don't know that we don't know if that may like the things we don't know that we don't know about ourselves mm-hmm. and I like I know for the longest time I really struggled because I'm a pretty emotionally I play things very close to the vest in all things like in life and in my work probably mm-hmm. because that's how I am in life and through like working with an acting coach and stuff like that who told me you should probably be working on your vocal training things like that will help open you up something I never would have thought of Mm -hmm. and through that I have been able to access more emotional color but I wouldn't have known that if not for this other working for this other working with this other person who told Mm -hmm. me that that would be a way in Mm -hmm. and so now I know that about myself I know that that's a block that I have and that that's something that I need to keep working at so I feel like I don't I don't know that I believe in limitations because I, I do think that as long as we keep fighting for the things we don't know that we don't know, as long as we keep working at those things, we can keep finding solutions and keep mm-hmm. finding growth in those yeah. things. I don't know if that's exactly what you were asking, but. No, that's great. That's very hopeful and optimistic. That's what I bring to the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that, Brandy. Along with my drink. You <laughs> <laughs> I mean I feel bad following that because I, I know I a because I just don't want to follow that, but also just I think because I I feel very similarly as you do on that matter. Because as you were talking about your limitations of feeling like you can't play a certain type of character, I've been feeling the same way. Like, oh, I can't play powerful characters. Like, I can't play strong. Like, I would never be the lawyer. I would never be the Mm. doctor. And the more that I've been challenging myself to work on those types of roles, I realize, yes, I can. I just have to work a lot harder and find my ways in. But changing my perspective about, like, what power looks like Mm -hmm. um, and know that... Mm -hmm. I definitely have that inside and I just have to figure out how to pull that out so that it 
so that I believe in it first. Right. So that then it it can express itself. Um, yeah. So that's been like a huge learning curve for me just this last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But non-professionally, I also find I have a problem of not being able to say no. And I often bite off more than I can chew. Mm-hmm. And so now I know that I do have a limit as to how much I can actually do at one time. Because when I have too many projects, like too many things that I'm trying to work on at once, I get major anxiety and my heart starts racing and it can mm-hmm. make me sick because I just I get so consumed and I have to really like stop and take deep breaths and bring myself back. So now I know mm-hmm. that I have limits for myself to how much I can say yes to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I bring to the table. <laughs> That's it. <Boom. laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm going to be very honest about this. I fear limitations. I fear that I don't know what my limitations are. And unfortunately, because of that, it leads to disappointment. Because if I don't know like how far I can get or if I can go through whatever that limitation is, then I'm constantly hitting a wall. Mm. So I find myself right now being somewhat negative about things in general, which is usually not where I am. So I'm glad you brought optimism and hope, Brandy, because I feel like at this point in time, and I don't know if it's because of COVID, probably Probably. is, or because of like the four years that we've gone through with- the president, like there's a lot of things happening in the world overall that just kind of places this cloud over us Mm -hmm. where it's kind of hard to like resurface and not see my family for a while. So it's like when personal things or outside factors are kind of infiltrating and immersing themselves in something that you kind of just want to push through, it's hard to then find where your limitations are and not like really going at everything full force because if you do then it's only going to hurt you because it's you can only give so much and there's only so much energy you can give on a daily so I'm at a point where I'm like I need to redefine my limitations even though I don't necessarily believe in them and I'm fearful of them but I'm kind of at that place where I'm in limbo of trying to figure that out yeah I also I don't know if I don't know if this is relevant or not, but back in the day, I, I used to work at Starbucks and there was one day when we were working and it was a crazy busy day. I worked at a super busy, like one of the busiest stores in Manhattan at the time, which is saying a lot that it was a very busy store <laughs> and it was the end of a really long shift and Mike Myers came in and ordered a drink and the person who was making his drink looked over at him and things were taking a long time. And so I think he was just trying to make conversation. So this barista said to him, do you ever feel like the whole world is just against you? And Did he know it was Mike Myers? Yeah. Okay. But I think he was just trying to make an excuse for like, this is why it's taking so long. I'm right. so sorry. Like everything's just gone wrong today. And so right. he says this to Mike Myers and Mike Myers picked up his drink and said, I've never felt like that a day in my life. <gasps> and oh, wow. I heard that and I was like, what would it mean to go through your life feeling like mm. that? That nothing mm. has ever gone wrong, even if it has, like even if you faced some kind of a setback or something like what if that was just what was supposed to happen? 
and you took it that way? What if that was just what was meant to be and that was propelling you forward somehow? And I was like, oh, my God, that's like endless empowerment. Like what he just said. I've never felt like that a day in my life. It was just like, oh, my God. And that's why he's such a risk taker and so courageous. Yeah. (laughs) Does whatever the fuck he wants. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say that. It seems like he's following through with his wants, his desires, and his needs, which then goes back to what Wallace is having such a difficult time, like following through what he really wants. And it's like this perception or like this persona he's making for everybody else being a people pleaser. Well, in People actuality, pleaser. he's not- Take a drink. <laughs> we should take a drinking game. I know it should. <laughs> While in actuality, he like he really wants to be doing something completely different. But I did find myself sort of questioning, you know, when Simone calls him into her office and oh, they have Jesus. this conversation about does he really want to be here or not? You know, he needs to really think about it is what she says to him. And I found myself really angry with her because I was like, you bitch, why are you saying this to him? You're believing Dana over him and all that. And then I was like, but he actually has been questioning whether or not he wants to be here. And so I kind of didn't know yeah, what to make of that moment. It was a really difficult sort of thing for me to try to take in. Well, it was difficult for me, too, because I think his reasons for questioning whether or not he wanted to be there had nothing to do with the work, because I do think that's he true. really does want to be a scientist. That's and so true. That's super conflicting, too. But it's also interesting because there's a moment when he's talking to Bridget where he acknowledges the fact that if he leaves, he would feel like it's a failure because mm-hmm. he didn't follow through. Right. So, and I often think that if I didn't, if I don't follow through with something that might necessarily be harmful in the end for me, maybe emotionally, not necessarily physically, but just like it, it won't put me at my best light. But if I stop doing it, will I feel like it's a failure? And mm-hmm. I feel like for him, if he doesn't follow through with it, knowing that that was a dream of his, mm-hmm. ultimately, would it end up being a failure for him? Which what's worse? The failure or moving on with your life? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's a balancing act. Like, what do you, what do you think is worse? Where would you be worse off? I think there's also a question for Wallace of, you know, this is a new persona he's created in a sense to get away from who he was. And so if he gives this up, then who, then who is is he going forward? And does that mean he's back to being who he was back then? Yeah. So I think there's also that complicated mix of identity for him going on in there. And I will say Jason actually recently went through something like this because, you know, he was an actor. Yeah. And then he stopped being an actor last year around this time. He decided he wanted to study science and he decided he wanted to go back to school to study neuroscience and that kind of stuff. And that was a really difficult decision for him and it took a long time you know there was a long sort of incubation period where he knew he didn't want to be an actor anymore but kind of didn't exactly what we're talking about he kind of didn't want to give up on it and it took him several months before he was finally able to say like you know what I'm not running away from this 
but I'm going to walk away from this because mm-hmm. I just don't want it I'm anymore. I'm choosing something else. I'm choosing something mm-hmm. else. Right. And that's it's a okay. choice. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a choice. Right. He was ready for that choice right. to actually take the leap of faith. But to your point, Mariana, I don't think that's where Wallace is right now. I think mm-hmm. Wallace is unhappy with a lot of the external factors that he's having to deal with in order to be in this program. Yes, absolutely. I think he would gladly be in the program if there were a lot of other different things surrounding him. Yeah, because even he said that because when we were talking about Christianity and about religion, he doesn't necessarily believe in a God, but he was saying that science could be the God, like Mm. could be a God for him, that that's kind of like the manifestation of what science is for him. Right. It's the almighty. Right. Well, the moment... The moment when Wallace and Bridget are waiting for their ice cream and he sees the man eating and then goes on this long inner monologue about bodies and beauty and him wanting to be someone else or at Mm -hmm. least get rid of the parts of himself that he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. After reading that, I was like, that moment must have lasted less than a minute of them waiting for their ice cream. And all of that went through his mind in such Mm -hmm. a short amount of time. And I realize I do that all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like our our we're, our brains are just always like pa 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 pa, and I feel like his brain is working overtime as well. But it is still it's that conflict of his um, internal view of himself and the external view that other people are perceiving him. Like mm-hmm. he has it double hard. He he goes on to say being so aware of their bodies makes him aware of his own body, which mm. equals an emotional problem. It's just it's 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 can you imagine living your life in such like a debilitating way where it's like you're constantly comparing your body to somebody else's body yeah. and you can't just get over that. Ricardo turned me on recently to the YouTube series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Have you oh, seen yeah, that? Oh, I've, yeah. I've heard of it, but I've, I haven't watched it. I've heard it. of it Emmanuel as well, yeah. Acho. Yeah. It is really something. It's oh. it's powerful. It's, um, I mean, he does. You get, you, he gets into that uncomfortable. And one of the, one of the things that he said in response to, to a question that he was asked that really struck me is he says, oh, it's actually, it was a little girl asks him, are you afraid of white people? Oh. And he says, I am not afraid of white people. I am cautious of white people. Mm. And compares it to the relationship between water and electricity where they can be near each other, but if they have a negative interaction, it can be lethal. Oh my God. And so... after reading this book, I went and watched every episode in the series just because I couldn't. I was still really like filled with um, turmoil and sadness and trying to really like immerse myself in this as best I could. And um, I think it, it made things a lot more clear for me about Wallace's inner dialogue, mm. having to be in this campus full of white people yeah. where you're the only person with black skin. And, you know, and then we also see why him and Bridget get along, get along so well, because then she also has that reference. Bridget expresses when they're having that moment together by the lake that she also feels how lonely Wallace must feel because she experiences some racism, too, for being Asian. I think there also must come a lot of body shame from 
having been abused oh, when you sure. were a kid and not having that acknowledged in any way on top of the fact that he's gay and right. that as mm-hmm. well is demonized. And these are all things of the body. Like, I mean, I think I've hinted at it before on the podcast, but like I had a lot of like body issues when I was a teenager and like it just felt this sounds so weird to say, but like it just felt wrong almost to have a body. Like it didn't feel mm. natural to me feeding it. Like that's literally how I would think of it. Feeding it yeah. was wow. like probably like it was just extra work that I had to do. It would never have enough energy when I needed to do things. Like it was just, huh. it was a detached thing mm. from what I was. And when I was reading some of the things that he would say where it does sort of seem like he has this body dysmorphia or this heightened awareness of other people's bodies versus his body, like I could kind of really identify with that, like how how sometimes your body can feel so other from even you and mm-hmm. how like wretched it can feel to even have one. I just really felt for him in those moments and I wondered how much of that must stem from his childhood and having felt that way for so long. I imagine a lot of it must come from A lot of it. I agree with you. Yeah. Because we've mentioned many, many, many times before that kids are so impressionable and anything that happens in your childhood will be with you. Yeah. I think my therapist even says how long it's taking you to get to a certain place, it's like double that time to be able to then get over get rid of all of it Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah so i can only imagine with everything that he's gone through like how can he not feel this way Mm -hmm. like how can he not how do you guys think i mean this book doesn't end it doesn't quite end with a conclusive finale right do you guys think he leaves does he stay do him and miller make it is that healthy did you guys have what did you guys think of the ending if 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 this is semi-autobiographical and brandon is kind of telling his story through wallace i i would see it as every day is a new beginning because there we touch upon it i think it's chapter nine where he's like okay the sun is rising it's a new day it's a new beginning Mm. So he, and if he's kind of like always like resembling a bird and wanting to be above everyone, it's like, okay, he's now leaving this nest that he's built, moving on to the next one. And as Brandon did, he became a writer. He he now told the story. Mm. He moved somewhere else to now begin anew. So I found myself just thinking that he retold this story and it was time to like now break out because he saw that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. He wasn't in between this life and the next. He just wanted to have the next life on earth because I felt like there was a moment in time where he was just like, do I end this? And I don't think he was ready to end it completely. It was just time to end this This chapter. Chapter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of terrible that I don't have more to say about that because I read it and I took a huge inhale Mm -hmm. and then I closed the book and I took a huge exhale. Yeah. It more like it more it more so resonated in my body than it did 
make can make me continue thinking about where it would end up. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I get that. Totally. It did feel though like there was a little hope. It did feel like there was a little I don't want to say relief, like things were going to be fine. No, right. But it did feel like it was an ending on a note of um like despair. Yeah. There was movement forward. It just seemed like there was movement, right? Is that kind of Yeah. Well, yeah, that there was hope. Like it just felt like the air was the air was changing. You know, there were there were so many references in this book to weather, to Mm. what to what nature was doing. And and we as humans are very much affected by that. And and I think maybe I was feeling that is that it was that feeling of like the air was changing because it was about to be fall. And transformation is coming. And, um, you know, the wind feels different. And I think that gave me just like this essence of feeling like it, like you said, the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, I think the last thing he says, right, is to life. Like when you come full circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) L'chaim. That means to life. To life. I think I kept coming back to this image of the dead bird being eaten by ants. And it was such a it was such a gruesome sort of alarming image to me. And then by the end it sort of felt more like like what you guys were saying, an image of transformation and almost mm. an image of growth or like rebirth mm. or something. Circle of life. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I didn't end the book feeling completely, like, over the moon hopeful, like this is going to be the happiest rainbow no. ending ever. Of course, right. But right. I did sort of have a sense of, of Wallace as a survivor and as somebody who's, like, scrappy. And at the very least, he has for the first time admitted to somebody the most shameful, I think, parts of himself Mm-hmm. And they haven't rejected him. They've answered in kind. And they're wrestling with those things, which in reading them felt really violent. But I did wonder if that was therapeutic in some way and if that was mm-hmm. some way to work through it. And maybe maybe they'll stay together. Maybe they won't. But at least for the first time, he has said these things out loud to another person. Yes, And he's in so doing sort of owned those things. And is maybe working through them and will be able to move forward in a way that lets him do whatever he wants. Because he's clearly super talented at what he wants to do. But, like, if that's not what he wants to continue doing or if that's not where he wants to continue doing it. You know, I I sort of ended the book feeling fully confident that he's going to do what he wants. He's going to get where he wants to be. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. And don't they say that, like, once you actually verbalize and express yourself, then it becomes real? Yeah. Right. Which is why when you're verbalizing the wrong things or saying the wrong things to yourself, you manifest those things. Yes. Yeah. Then those become a reality. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to be careful. You're so right. We have to be careful. Yeah. (laughs) We do. We do. Well, does this bring us to the end of... I discussion cannot with real life. believe that, but I think so. <laughs> I know. But we can't leave without a final question. 
Okay. Lay it Obviously. on us. Oh. In line with Simone asking Wallace if this is really what he wants, I'm curious if neither of you were actors, what would you want to do slash be? Oh, oh man. Silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've actually, I've thought about this. And it's interesting to me because I'm somebody who craves order and craves like a regimen and a routine. But like acting is obviously not that. And if I weren't an actor, <laughs> funnily enough, I think I would want to be a writer. Like I think I would want to oh. be a novelist, which also isn't something that's like routine or like. So I find that so fascinating. I find that funny that like I crave order in my life, but actually what I want to do has nothing to do with that. Nothing. Yeah. Uh. You're never going to have order. I'm never going to have peace. (laughs) Mariana? It's so funny that you say that because I think I crave so much control of me and my life and my circumstances. But former dancer, now actor, if I were to choose something else, I think I would be like a news reporter or or, or like a a on-air a broadcaster yeah yeah i could totally see that because i feel like i would always want to be on edge and what's the next thing and what can we express to people and how can we move forward like how but that's so not me in my life i just want everything to be like so put together and ready to go and my life has to be perfection but that wouldn't be the case at all (laughs) oh boy yikes Emma, I can see that for we're you, though. gluttons for punishment. Yeah, we are masochistic. Right. <laughs> That's so funny because I am completely opposite from that. I would be a yoga teacher and a doula. Oh, I love hand that. In hand. And I think you'd be great at both of those things. At both. Thanks. Both. I mean, I still like kind of think that I want to explore both of those things. Like, I think I want to try them hand in hand with with my profession. But yeah, I've been talking yeah. about it for a while, so I don't you know. Have. Like, I might try it. I love that. You would be so great. You got to do it before Mariana gets pregnant so that you can you be her you doula. You can be my doula. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that would be so I cute. would love to be your doula. Can we cheers to that? I, I want to cheers to that. Seriously. <laughs> Emma the doula. L'chaim. <laughs> to life. To life. To, to real life. life. To real life. To real life. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Media Right Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. I want to give a shout out to the three of us. Aww. Can I do that? Yeah. Is that okay to do sure. that? Sure. Sure. Because why not, right? We can do whatever we, we be- want. <laughs> we were being so vulnerable and open with our conversations, which I absolutely love. We are learning through this passion project, and we want to hear from everyone else out there yes. about what they feel. So join us on all the streaming podcast sites and let us know what you agree or disagree with. We yes, want to continue being more present and engaged with you all. Yes. yes. Come
come join us, you guys. <laughs> and as promised, next week we have a very special episode that's a first for us ladies. Yeah. We're bringing in a very special guest to join our conversation as we dive deeper into the themes and realities of this book. Yep. If this book was as thought-provoking for you as it was for us, and you want to continue the dialogue, you won't want to miss next week's discussion. Nope. Finally, keep following us on Instagram at Are These Books Drunk for our next book pick and cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Because it's, it's always, always happy, happy hour here. here. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, ladies. Bye, you guys.